Let us continue in worship by again going to our Father in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the wonderful gifts that you give us. We're grateful for the gifts that you have blessed each one of us with, with the gift of music, of leadership, of, of service, of, of so many different things. And Lord, we are grateful for the gift that you have given us in your word. We thank you for the gift of the Bible, for this book that leads and guides us. Father, we are grateful for the gift you continually give us in the presence of your spirit and, and in you working in and within us. Lord, we pray that, that in this next few minutes, as we listen to your word, as we reflect on it together, we ask that you would speak to each one of us. Help even this time to be a time of refreshing, of renewal. If we need to be challenged, then please challenge us. If we need to be comforted, then please comfort us. If we need to be guided, then please guide us. Lord, we need you, and we need you to lead and guide us. We pray that you do so. Amen. So we're working through Romans 12 in a four-week sermon series. We've got two behind us. We'll wrap up next week. And to get the text that we're reading today, we really need to remember the first couple verses. So we're going to, to read 12, 9 to 16 for our text for today. But I want to take us back to Romans 12, verse 1 for just a moment. Um, you may want to grab the Bibles in the pew and have them open to Romans 12 now and throughout the sermon. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen when we get to the text. But I want to read first, and this won't be on the screen, I want to read the first phrase of Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, I want to review a little bit what I said in the first sermon on this series in Romans 12, because if we don't get the beginning right, then we can't hear the verses that we'll read today right. So we need to begin, as Romans does, with the reality that we are all guilty. We are all far, far from God. God has... Well, God graciously made this world, and we human beings turned away from him and keep running and running and running away from him. And so the default state of humanity is to be far, far distant from God and to be stuck in our guilt. And no matter what we do, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we run, no matter how good we try to be, we cannot get to God. Do whatever you want. You will not get yourself out of your guilt. And in fact, day by day, year by year, all of us accrue more and more guilt and more and more distance from God. But God, by his mercy, God, by his mercy, has brought us to an objectively new and different place. Through the cross of Christ, the Lord has, has brought us into his presence. And so it is, it is a reality of those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. And if, if that's not you today, then I invite you to commit yourself to Jesus, not because of anything you've done, but, but because he is your gracious Savior. And once Jesus Christ has applied his grace to us, once, once we are living in grace, then, then and only then, can we truly begin to live lives of gratitude for our Lord's work. And if we don't have that pattern right, then we will always be coming at things from the wrong direction with the wrong motivation. We're going to talk about a lot of commands in the text that we read for today. And, and if we hear those commands as, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do all these things to get myself up so God loves me, then we are running a hopeless race. 
But if we hear these commands as because the Lord Jesus has worked in me and and brought me to the cross and transformed me, now I can continue to be transformed, and so I get to live into this new kind of life. This text is all about grateful living. It is not about earning grace. So we need to, to hear that, to hear this text correctly. And with that in our minds, let's turn to Romans 12 and read verses 9 to 16. Hear now the word of the Lord for us today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. So Bob Smiley is a Christian comedian. You probably haven't heard of him. He's a bit obscure, but he's worth checking out if if you want to listen to some Christian comedy. Before having kids, he tells this story in one of his albums, before having kids, Bob wanted to get a little bit of a sense of what parenting was like, so he offered that he could do some babysitting for some people in his church. And Generally, he and his wife would team up, but there was one time it didn't work for his wife, so he got this kid on his own, and the kid's name was Devin. And he thought it would be great, but then Devin and his mom showed up, and he realized he was in trouble when she said, here's Devin's medicine, (laughs) and here's your medicine, (laughs) and then ran off. And he said, no, it's great. We'll have a great time. Devin, 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 get off that. Put that down. Don't knock that over. And he proceeded to chase Devin through the whole house with this trail of destruction. Then he took him outside because he thought that would go better. And he said, no, no, Devin, put that down. Don't climb over the fence. No, no, leave that alone. When it rattles, it's angry. So then they go back inside because Bob is desperate. And he decides to give the kid a snack of Cocoa Pops. And And you have to recognize the lack of parental experience here because why do you give a wound-up kid more sugar, right? Well, he puts some Cocoa Puffs in front of Devin and he leaves for a little bit to go take a deep breath and get himself calmed down. And as he comes back, he can see Devin, but Devin hasn't gotten that he's coming back yet. And he realizes that Devin, Cocoa Puffs, by the way, small chocolate balls can fit up your nose, right? Devin has realized this and is trying to put Cocoa Puffs up his nose. And and the right thing to do at that point is probably to step in and intervene. But Bob thinks, this could be interesting. Let's see what happens. It's not my kid. Shouldn't have trusted him with the boy at that point. Anyway, so, so Devin gets a Cocoa Puff up one nostril. And he gets a Cocoa Puff up the other nostril. And then he thinks, I could fit some more up. So he gets another one up. And then he starts to have a little trouble breathing. But he gets the other one up. And then he realizes that when you have cocoa puffs up your nose, you can't breathe. All right, now Bob is standing back, and as this is happening, he keeps thinking, oh, God bless his heart. God bless his heart. Oh, three, now four now? And then he makes this, uh, this observation that I think is relevant for a lot of our Christian lives, that we as Christians don't say, what an idiot. We say, oh, bless his heart. And we mean exactly the same thing, right? So Bob is standing there thinking, bless his heart. Bless his heart. And then Devin panics and comes jumping up and running and says, I can't, I got cocoa pot on my own. Bob says, what? 
อันนั้นก็งอปังอะไร What? Hoko pops up my nose, and so Bob reaches down and vigorously squeezes Devin's nose several times and crushes the cocoa puffs. And Devin starts crying, and there's like chocolate milk coming out of his nose, and it's awful. Well, you know, often in life, often in life, we Christians kind of have this veneer of niceness, but underneath that, we really like to stand back and watch people do stupid things and say, "Bless their heart, I would never do something that dumb." And we don't always treat people in trouble with the same level of grace and love that we would like ourselves to be treated with. And Romans 12 calls us as Christians to live up to a higher standard, to live in a different way. And and it starts by telling us to practice sincere love. And in sincere love, in verses 9 to 13, there means all the things. There is a a huge list there. And actually, as, as we read that, It could be easy looking at verses 9 to 13 to get lost in the weeds because there are a whole bunch of commands. But the way the text actually reads in the original gives us a clue to how to read it. Sincere love, in the NIV it has love must be sincere, and the verb actually isn't in there. What it is in the Greek is a title. Sincere love. Sincere love. And then there's all these different words, all these different things for what sincere love is, what sincere love looks like, how sincere love works. But the key point of verses 9 to 13 is that love must be sincere. And the actual word there is unhypocritical. Love in Christian circles should be genuine. And it means doing all these things, but, but the key The key part of it is that it is deep and genuine and sincere. And there may be times in your life, you may be at a particular moment where one of those specific commands really speaks to what you should be doing. Maybe in your life you really need to focus on hating what's evil. Or maybe this is the time for you to really cling to what's good. Or or maybe you need to practice brotherly love or honor others above yourself. Maybe this is a time to keep your spiritual zeal. Or maybe you need to practice joyful hope or be especially patient in affliction or be really faithful in prayer or, or to more share with God's people or, or to practice hospitality. Again, perhaps there is one of those that the Lord would be working in your heart to say this. This is an area that you need to address. Perhaps a strength you need to really lean into or perhaps a, a weakness or a lack that you need to build up. And I, I thought about some different ones this week and, and I want to just focus on one of them. We could trace all of them out. You can do that on your own if you need to or if the Lord is prompting you to, but I want us just to really focus on one today, and that's the the command to cling to what is good, to cling to what is good. And that verb cling is a really, really strong word. In Matthew 19, 5, Jesus is talking about marriage, and, and he uses that word. And he says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And when Jesus says, be united, he's using the word here in Romans 12 that is translated cling. This is a type of unity that is is closer than any other type of relationship that you can imagine. It's a unity that works itself out physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. This is... This is saying, be all wrapped up with what is good. Hold on to good with everything you have. Well, I focus on this one because we often identify a Christian life by what we're against. Don't do this. Don't do that. 
But what this is calling us to is to reflect on what we are for. And the great call of the Lord is is to focus on what is good, to embrace what is good, and to really have our eyes set on it. People sometimes talk talk about the difference between a, a boundary set and a center set. And briefly, a boundary set is a fence. It's saying, don't go, don't go outside these walls. You have to stay inside here. Don't go over there, don't go over there, don't go over there. And what we tend to do with boundary sets is we tend to say the boundary's there. I'm going to get as close to the boundary as I can without stepping over into sin. That's our tendency. But a center set really, as you would guess from the name, draws you to the center and says, focus in on this point. And what the Lord often calls us to, yes, is boundary sets and, okay, don't go beyond these parameters, but really the goal is to be drawn closer to what is good. And what is good is ultimately Christ. So when we hear these descriptions of sincere love, we should not picture, we should not picture God shaking his finger at us and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that. That's part of it. We need to pay attention to that. But what he's really inviting us to do is to draw closer to the flame of life, to come closer and closer to what is really good and what really focuses us on the Lord. And so I could invite you today to, to stay away from some things, but what I, invite you, what I want to invite you to do today instead is to really ask what in your life is good what in your life is really, is really good, and not good like you like it or whatever, but good like this really is of Christ? And how can you spend more of your time and more in your effort focused on those center-set things? How can your life be more like the life of Jesus, not just in what you reject, but in what you choose to do? And the reality of how this works is your focus has to be on Jesus. We are perpetually distracted people, and and there are all kinds of other things that seem attractive out there, but the more we look to Jesus, the more we are able to really cling to what is good. And there's some places in the Bible, Ephesians 5 most clearly, where where the Lord talks about how he, He is a spouse to the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Christ is the groom of the church. And so He invites us to have a kind of relationship with Him that is closer than any other relationship. He invites us to pay more and more attention to Him. And especially in a world that is so full of distractions, that is so full of troubles, that that is so full of so many places where we could pay our attention, I want to invite you today to pay your attention to Jesus Christ, to really cling to what is good, to really be more and more united with Jesus. So that is the first step that this text calls us to, 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 really, to really be united with the Lord in sincere love. And then the text builds on that and calls us to bless big, to bless big no matter what. And verses 14 and 15 again have a lot going on, but the key word there, the key verb is to bless. Verses 9 to 13 are more focused on on what we do within the body of Christ, within the church, and verses 14 and 15 include that, but they also invite us to reflect more on what we can do with people who are not part of the church. And the text tells us to bless those who persecute us, to bless and don't curse, and then to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And our natural human tendency and our kind of default Christian tendency is to bless other people 
kind of on that level of, oh, bless his heart. I'm glad I'm not like him, but bless him, bless him. And it doesn't cost us anything, and it doesn't really help the other person. But, but what this blessing that Romans 12 calls us to is not an empty saying of blessing and leaving it there, but, but a real, real entry into other people's experience, a real laying down of our lives for them, a real seeking after their good, even at the expense of our good. And before I work that out, I do want to mention a disclaimer that sometimes what people want is not actually what is good for them. And so what Romans is calling us to here is not to say, give everybody what they want, indulge everyone, just be nice and let people do their own thing. That is, that is not what this text is saying. What this text is saying is act unceasingly and unhesitatingly for the good of other people, whether they like it or not. Do what is best for them. So if other people persecute and trouble you, do what is best for them. And then it works that out in a couple ways that, okay, those who persecute you, bless them. But also, regardless of where your heart is at this particular point, if someone is rejoicing, then step into that experience and rejoice with them wholeheartedly. Do not, by your gloominess, rain on someone else's parade. And mourn with those who mourn. Even if your life is wonderful, enter into the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of other people's lives and be willing for a time, for a moment, for a season to mourn with those who mourn, even if your life is in a wonderful place. You may really be troubled by somebody. You may really not, not feel like you're at where someone else is emotionally, but what this text invites us to do is still to step into their experience and still to act for their good, to truly bless them. Now, these are a couple of verses that are really, I think, pretty easy to understand, but they are almost impossible. I would even go so far as to say they are impossible to actually live out. If someone is persecuting us, we... Well, some of us have deeper emotional reserves than others, but if someone is persecuting us by ourselves, we will all eventually run out and punch them in the nose. Some of us may be better at modifying our emotional temperature to really be in someone else's experience, but eventually that's exhausting and we wear out. We can't do this on our own. And here's where we need to come back to where we started this morning, that, that this is not on my own resources, in my own strength, Somehow I, I do enough. Somehow I find enough. I dig deep enough that I can give and give and give and bless and bless and bless. That's not what this is about. This is about look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and look to Jesus and look to Jesus and out of the overflow of his mercy in your life, bless others. And so when you have those points when, when you feel like you are being called to do more than what you can do, that is 100% accurate. You are always being called to do more than what you can do right now because you are called to do it in the power of Christ and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so always seek to bless big. Always seek to bless big. And there is some need for prudence and wisdom and all of those things, but, but always by default, let's try to be blessing big. Let's try to be saying, what can I do in the power of Christ? What would Christ call me to do in this circumstance, and what will Christ equip and enable me to do? 
And if we want a pattern for that, we need to look to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he was, when he was almost at the very depths, when he was on the cross, when he had been beaten and spat upon, and when he was hanging there to be unjustly executed in excruciating agony, his prayer for those who had put him there was what? Was, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now, we can't do that. We can't pay for our own sins. We can't make ourselves right. We can't help other people. We can't truly help other people apart from Christ. But Christ, by his death and his resurrection, he, he opens up the floodgates of God's mercy and grace so that we can truly bless others even, even when it's more than we can do. So I want to give you a dangerous and wonderful invitation today. I want to invite you to ask the Lord to truly pour out his mercy on you so that you can be a blessing to others. Ask the Lord to truly pour out his mercy on you so that you can be a blessing to others. And that's a dangerous invitation because if you pray that, God might actually do it. And it's a wonderful invitation for exactly the same reason. If you pray for the Lord to fill you full so you can overflow into blessing in other people's lives, he may well do it. And that will be both challenging and exhilarating. Our third point for today, the last verse in our text, don't be wise in your own eyes. And again, verse 16 has a number of commands. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people in low position. But the key, the key is don't be conceited. Don't be wise in your own eyes. I think there is something of a self-protective mechanism built into all of us that we, that we sort of automatically put ourselves a step or two above everybody else. Yeah, I'm not that great, but I'm better than them. Yeah, they're pretty good. I'm probably about as good as they are. And that is, that is often just pride. And it is pride that is probably the biggest barrier between us and God. It's pride that is often the biggest barrier between us and other people. And it's pride that often is the greatest barrier between us and us actually becoming better. And so very often, pride actually has its roots in insecurity. I'm not sure how good I am, so I'll tell myself I'm great. I'm not sure how I measure up to those other people, so I will find some way of measuring that I score high and they score low. And so we... We build ourselves up and up, and, and we do it out of a desire to survive and be secure, but it always falls apart. And if it doesn't fall apart, then we become kind of an unbearable person because we think we're better than everybody else. And if you think you're better than everybody else, eventually everybody else will figure that out and not want to be around you. Jesus calls us, though, to get off our pedestals, to stop needing to, to build ourselves up and, and instead to let him build us up. And Jesus belongs on the throne of the universe. There is none like him, but Jesus came down to us. He gave up his, well, he emptied himself, is what Philippians 2 tells us. He, he emptied himself and came to us to fill us with his grace. And so in our insecurity, in our need to build ourselves up and to pretend to ourselves that we are better than we are, Jesus comes and tells us that he will make us better than we are. And when we manage to get our eyes off ourselves and actually look to Jesus, then, well, then we can finally turn around and see who we really are. And who we really are is the beloved of God. 
If we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are, then we are truly God's beloved. And that is something that you can put your feet on and never have to move away from. That is an assurance that will never change, that will never drift, that will, that will never leave you alone. And so if, if you are struggling today with, with feeling distant from God, with feeling like you're not enough, with feeling like you could never measure up, well, you're probably right. But what's even more true, what's even more right is that Jesus has come down to you. And Jesus intends to build you up and bring you to the Lord. And once we can get that perspective, then we can be okay because we are eternally safe and eternally secure in Jesus Christ. And once we can get that perspective, then we become more able to bless others because, because we can see them as Christ sees them, not as threats, not as, not as oh, bless their hearts, stupid people, but, but as people who are made by God. And so we can bless them even when it's costly to us. This, this changes everything when we realize that God's grace has been given to us. So one more Bob Smiley story to close. Bob travels a lot, and he was playing in Las Vegas once, had a couple shows there, and he gets booked into this horrible hotel. I mean, the room is just not nice to be in, so, so he decides to leave and check out the exercise facilities. So Bob goes down, he gets on one of the stationary bikes, and he starts biking, and he's in there by himself, so he starts singing Beatles songs. Hey, Jew! And he's a terrible singer, he says. And I think he's probably right. So he's singing along, and at some point he looks back, and three or four of the people have come in while he's been exercising. And he's only been exercising for about five minutes, but they've heard all his renditions of the Beatles classics. And so he gets tremendously embarrassed, and properly so. So he's like, 5,000, 6,000, all right, I'm done, good. Oh. And he hops off, and he runs off into the men's room because he's just so embarrassed. And there's a hot tub in there, and he hates hot tubs. It's kind of like a, a tea bag that, or a tea, tea bag that a thousand strangers have uh, stuck themselves in, right? Like nasty. So he hates hot tubs, but he gets in anyway because every now and then we do things that we don't usually do. And then after he's been in there just a couple minutes, he hears the sauna door. Bam! And this guy comes kind of bounding out, and, and Bob says, it's like he's dun da da no hygiene man. He looks like he's wearing a sweater because he's so hairy. And he's dripping in sweat. And all he's got on is a Speedo. And, and Bob starts to hyperventilate because it looks like the guy is headed for the hot tub. And the guy takes a bound and jumps into the hot tub. Not what you're supposed to do, right? So there's this splash and this water everywhere. And then the guy starts taking some of the water, swishing it in his mouth and spitting it back into the tub. And Bob freaks out. And so he just about jumps out the tub. And he's like, hey, I have to, I have to go. And the guy says, oh, sorry, hey, can I ask you a question a minute, though? And Bob, most of the way out of the hot tub, is kind of trying to edge away without edging away because he doesn't want the guy to chase him or something. And he says, well, uh, uh, sure. And the guy leans back and says, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And Bob is like, well, yeah, I mean, I know Jesus is, is my Lord and Savior, but thanks for asking. And the guy says, yep. Cool, I just, I didn't want to miss an opportunity. I, I never want to miss an opportunity. And so Bob realizes that da-da-da, no hygiene man, is actually da-da-da, share the Lord Jesus with everybody all the time, man. And halfway out of the hot tub, he realizes this is a man, a brother in Christ, who he really wants to spend some time with. 
But the guy just started swishing some water and spitting in this thing again, and he looks at the tub, and he looks at the guy, and he looks at the tub. So he grabs a chair, and he sits down next to the hot tub, and he gets to know no hygiene man a bit. He's actually a deeply, deeply Christian man, has, has pursued a career that no matter what, he always makes the choice that helps him get in contact with more people so he can share Jesus with them. And he stays in the lousy hotels, and he takes the worst positions, and he does all of this just so that he can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Bob had started out looking at this guy with disgust and fear, and then had tried to be kind of surface nice, but exit the situation. And this, this guy instead was just trying to be, okay, so he had some issues. Well, we can talk about that another time. But he was just trying to do his best to share Jesus with people. I wonder how often in our lives, either because of fear or because of kind of wanting to be surface nice, we miss opportunities to really practice sincere love. I wonder how often we step back from blessing other people when there are wonderful opportunities, but, but we just aren't tapping into the Christ power in us. I wonder. I wonder. So today I want to invite you to really, really lean into the mercy and the grace of our Lord. Don't miss your opportunities to practice sincere love for others. Don't miss, don't miss opportunities to bless other people. And focus on Jesus. And when you focus on Jesus, everything else comes into focus as you live in sincere love. Let's pray. Father, we confess that often we have blessed people with our mouths, but been less than charitable in our hearts. Lord, we confess that, that if we took all of our lives to task for just the few verses we've read today, that all of us would fail. Lord, we pray that you help us to accept your grace. Help us to, to accept your grace even for the wrong things that we've done this very morning. Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us. And Lord, because we are your beloved and because of your mercy, help us to live in really sincere, sacrificial love. Lord, give us opportunities to bless others and help us to focus on you and not ourselves. Amen.